Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. This is Susie Lewis, your host, speaking from Toulouse. In this episode of Let's Talk Transformation, we will be tackling the topic of trust and its place in a more hybrid environment. I am delighted to welcome Antoinette Vable, President at the Institute for Work and Employment Research University and Professor for Human Resources Management and Organization Transformation, University of St. Gallen. Antoinette, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, Antoinette, you centre your research on trust, engagement, corporate trustability, if I may, um, HR tech, and your recent research projects centre on stakeholder distrust, which we will come to, um, trust and new controls and active trust, but also trust in extreme situations. So we met in this space, in this space of creating more collaborative and inclusive human systems, And we share a passion, not only for understanding the subject of trust, but also for how it plays out in organizations as the different cultural, political, and interrelational dynamics start interacting. I remember when I first started working in Lean and then Agile and then Digital Transformation, and everybody was going digital or being Lean or being Agile. And it very quickly became a corporate buzzword that for me needed demystifying and trust would fall under the same bracket So I'm not underestimating clearly the importance of trust as I think it's a key component for creating a better working environment. But I wanted to start with some clarity. So my first question to you has to be, could you demystify trust for us? What is it for you? Okay, I do my very best, but you have to understand that I did 20 years of research on that. (laughs) It probably means it's not so easy to demystify it. Maybe we start a little bit what trust is all about, because I think that's important to also understand from which angles we kind of can Mm -hmm. um, also work on trust. So I have come to an understanding that trust is a threesome. It has something to do with how you show up and how Mm -hmm. the others believe that you show up. So I always bring the same citation because I like it, but only Louis Menken said, trust is when you believe that a man is telling you the truth, or hopefully a woman, (laughs) even if you know that you would lie if you were in his place. So you see, it has a lot to do with my perception. Can I rely on this other person? What is the character? Mm -hmm. But that's just one, one part of the threesome. So the other part is it's about trusting. I have to jump into the situation. I can only find out if I really can trust you, if I trust you. So mm. that's the second part. And the third part is, of course, what we now say so flowerly, the space between us, because trust is also a relationship quality. Mm. And, I mean, there is a good news in that. I know it sounds overly complex, but the good news is that you can start uh, this threesome in, in, from three different directions, but maybe mm. make it a little bit more easy. The bad news, of course, for the business world is it still remains and it will it will always remain um, touchy-feely because it has to do with beliefs, with feelings, with intuition. That all will end well. And I think we're not so good with feelings and, and intuition. That's just something we kind of have. Yeah, we, we, we don't talk about that in the business world. No, we don't. And and I, I really like the idea of, you know, the deep dive into trust where it's about how I show up in the workplace and then about me daring to trust. So I take that leap of faith into the vulnerable space yeah. and then 
you know, what happens in that space. I mean, it's very interesting. Like you say, we don't talk about it in organisations today because we don't express emotions and it's seen as the fluffy, softer skills, although it's one of the most important skills that will keep humans relevant, I think, as as, um, tech moves on. And my next question will be around, so what is the impact of tech on trust? Because if I look at the pandemic and the fact that we're now all looking at a screen, you know, that changes your capacity to show up and it also changes the space between us doesn't it oh yeah the, the tech uh, thing is very is, is almost the hardest thing you could ask me but um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we are going to have a little bit more of a warm-up but um, I can jump into that that's not a problem well I think the thing with the tech is is how we really use technology in the future and we can use it for going back to tailorism exploiting humans, maybe even extracting their knowledge. So sometimes I say it can be a Borg scenario for those who, who mm-hmm. like um, Star Trek. But of course, we can also use it to really kind of have more time to do the interesting stuff, the human stuff, the, the parts where we are better. And that, of course, depends how we decide that we are going to use tech. And, and I think it's a very important question, an ethical question as well. Mm. Where do, do we want to use technology? Where not? Now, maybe i give you an example to make that a little bit more plastic. In Japan, they now have smart toilets. So this <laughs> toilet knows before, maybe even before you, whether you're pregnant or whether you have taken mm-hmm. drugs or something like that. And, and you can already see Hmm. You might not want to have a smart toilet in your <laughs> in your company, and, and and of course it's not allowed. But there is a lot allowed, and there is also a lot done which uh, which is not allowed, which we are not aware of. So it's really it's an ethical question first, and and then I think the next question is it makes the job of leaders, as long as we still have leaders, yeah more difficult because now you really have to show compassion because the machine is not always right and then you have to take sides mm-hmm. and you also have to do more contextual leadership eco leadership because you have to understand what's going on complexity is rising through technology mm. so i'm almost a little bit fearful because we haven't mastered trust in the basic level and if we now throw in uh, smart machines artificial intelligence we of course run the risk that we, first of all, believe technology is better. And second of all, with immature leadership and immature organizations, then going to be very, very difficult to really build to trust capacity. So you you have um, led me a little bit into the dystopia. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah, it needs to be discussed. Mm. It's an important um, question. Mm. I mean, so I I did lead you into into dystopia a little bit early, but on purpose, because I think now we have the the whole picture. Mm -hmm. You know, you you touched on it for me when you said the contextual eco-leadership that is needed, because... I just wanted the whole picture to make it even more apparent Mm -hmm. that where we can work, we as human leaders today, tomorrow and in the near future is on the sort of shift from ego to eco. So which is happening across society, of course, but particularly in organisations around, you know, how do I step into a more collective stance and what does that mean for my definition of a strong leader? So how do I step out of um, the hero leader and into a more servant leadership which of course requires us to step into vulnerability as opposed to bravado if I put it like that. 
So what do you see in this area as trends today? Because as we said, there is often an emotional layer in organizational culture that is not spoken about, that is not taken apart, and that is not either constructed or deconstructed. It's just there. Well, I mean, if we look at it just from a descriptive side, then we seem not to be doing very good. I mean, Mm -hmm. the VEF is now for 10 years shouting out loud that we have a trust crisis and either on the barometer is it's going down and down and down. And we're deep in the distrust, at least when it comes to CEOs. So in fact, we believe 56% of the people seem to believe that business leaders are purposely trying to mislead and will lie at us. So that's... Okay. Yeah, that's not very good news. That's that's a that's a big figure. That's a big figure. Mm. Um, of course, this is the CEO level, and yes. um, it's for for big organizations. So mm-hmm. uh, look, might look a little bit on the better side if you go to smaller organizations or to your direct project leader. But I think what that merits further investigation. So where are the problems? And 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 there are on several areas, but that also means we can work on several areas. So yeah. if I said it's about how you show up, then the interesting thing is uh, that we usually say, well, um, you are trusted if you're competent, if mm-hmm. you show integrity, walk the talk, and if you care. And, and here again, it's interesting to see that these fluffy bits are becoming <laughs> more important. Care. Mm. I think we saw that even if you are not overly political, if you look at Joe Biden or if you look at the prime minister of New Zealand, I think they're both mm-hmm. that type of compassion, really putting the other people first, as you said, servant leadership, speak with them rather than about them or in corporate talk. So th- this is, is a very, very important part, as is the integrity and I think that's also the hard bit for CEOs. And they cannot only say that they are um, Black Lives Matter and then do not really uh, walk the talk and have skin in the game. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what I'm saying, you can work on that. It's very difficult to come into compassion, but already understanding that compassion is important, I think, is a first step. Understanding what compassion is all about is a first step. So maybe mm-hmm. start with the vocabulary and then try to maybe slowly come into what does it mean I have to get to know my people for instance mm. I think that's not so hard so you can kind of gradually build this how I show up whereas the bravado is not so sought any longer but the vulnerability that's probably the harder one mm. because mm. it does not only mean that I have to ask for help maybe this is something we can find the courage to but it also has to do with disclosing and allowing in intimacy. So are we really re- ready to share our deeper selves, to mm. uh, drop our masks? <laughs> and already by saying that, we can hear this is this is really the harder bit and might become more easier if we also invest in the system around us. And if we are kind of working on this together in the space between you and me. So learning the dialoguing. I mean, you all know that, but I I still believe a lot of companies haven't started to do that. Inquiry is an important point. For me, also understanding that we are not independent, but always interdependent. Um, So Henry Minsberg has come up with the Declaration of Interdependence just to make clear Whenever a company is successful, it's not because of the CEO, but because of everybody 
who shared and brought in her thoughts and her creativity and and the synergy of the people, what is happening between them. So mm. if we kind of bring that more into the companies, it may be also helping leaders to show up in a different way and to be more vulnerable. So maybe look at it at the other way around it. And I really like that because as an individual leader, you can work on your own vulnerability, but we're now in the eco part of you know, systemic vulnerability. So how do you um, scale what you're doing as a single leader and, and how do you affect the system around you? I think it's really interesting because we were talking about you know, how do you operationalize these subjects because you know, these are where we see the results of whether trust is collective or not you know, bringing new people into the organization or the HR system or the leadership system, where do you see the challenges there in creating collective trust? Because, you know, often we do it in silos. And so we do team building and we do it in a certain area or in a certain community and it works. And you're right, you get, you know, collective flow and and higher performance and a higher well-being. So, you know, what what are the challenges to scaling that across organizations? Well, (laughs) Small question. <laughs> no, it's a good question, and 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 I think we can. I can tell you some levers where I believe mm. we need to change, and that's hopefully going to be very practical. And maybe we come back to your more philosophical question in the end, which will be why haven't we changed that all the way? Yes, <laughs> super, super. So, um, if we look at our HR systems, or also at the leadership system from from an organization point of view. Then I take up what you were telling me because I I now walk around with that. I really like it. We have to change from our ideas that we have to categorize people and Mm. make them compete to a system where it's about learning and collaboration. Mm. And what you have done with this labeling um, is that I believe you can see very nicely that we have created systems which are based on distrust because we always have to find out who are the good ones, who are the bad ones. And because we're still not sure whether people are really engaged, better mm. have them competing because that, of course, is making everybody um, standing on their toes. Yeah. And so we could even take two of the systems which are most closely related to that, which I believe um, would have to go first. So if you look at the idea of competition and of yeah. categorization, then, of course, I would always say ditch individual performance evaluation and i'm really radical now nowadays because we even have the evidence out there Mm. we can show and i I mean this should be already the main reason why we have to ditch it is that it's just not valid we cannot measure individual performance in a knowledge-based environment because people are experts and we have teams and in teams it's the space between us now how do you divide up the team the space between us you simply can't. Mm. And, and so there are new um, analysis, uh, even some meta-analysis, which show that we have more biases in our yeah. evaluation than truths. Of course. Truths. <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah, but it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah. And it's also creating hardship on the side of the employees, so the frustration because they feel it's unfair because it is unfair. It is costing also the leaders who hate that exercise. Mm. And then the worst thing is it doesn't even correlate with organizational performance. So we do that stupid thingy and it has no effect on co- on, on organizational performance. So why the heck? Yeah. <laughs> 
we, we just don't take the time to rethink it, do we? It just, that's the way, that's the existing status quo. It's, it's that, it's of course also that we have created a, systems, a system where one thing feeds on the other. So how can mm-hmm. you then um, work with bonuses if you mm. don't have an individual performance evaluation? I mean, uh, in, in all true truths, you would have to get rid of all of these pitch um, yes. yeah. training thingies. But I think the performance evaluation is just one way you can show it so well. And everything else in the performance management cycles is, cycle is building on that. Yes, Reward, recognition. Yeah, yeah. So Mm. it's just stupid. So that's that's one thing. Get get it out and work on learning because you want to understand in the team why certain things are not working. So that's the important thing. And if you really have the one or the other who cannot contribute, then that's leadership because maybe that person needs some development Maybe that person just has a bad time and you need to show compassion. And maybe this is a person who is not belonging to the team. But then you also have to be uh, to take accountability and have to to solve the problem. Mm. But again, it's about having those courageous conversations, isn't it? It's about the space between us and how, as a leader, you manage that. That's uh, it's it's not uh, it's not making leadership easier, but who no. that leadership is is for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> but it's for different heroes than we the ones we had. It's yeah. now for people who are allowing emotions, who um, are clear that they are not the sages on the stages or the heroes of the world. <laughs> and so it's just a different breed of leadership. Let's put it this way: not not only leaders that we need. It is, but it's a completely different paradigm, though, isn't it, Antoinette, in terms of how you show up, like you said at first, in the workplace and how you take, well, how you and whether you take a leap of faith. Exactly. But I mean, maybe you can also see it um, this way. If we take away all these instruments, and I'm just going to get at the second one in a second, then we also take away some of these group. Uh, how do you say um, where you can kind of depend on, which helps you with when uh, crutches. Um, like crutches? Exactly, you take them uh, away, and then you have to trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have no choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, a little bit getting people out of the comfort zone. We always yeah. talk about, and it does work. We have seen that in an organization which took away all these instruments and only left instruments which were kind of nonsensical. You, so you, you were still allowed to use an Excel sheet but it had almost no content in that Excel sheet. And it, it was good because for mm. some people, they needed a little bit this Excel sheet before they could get away uh, with it. But at the same time, it forced them to, to come into another way um, of leading and, yes. uh, and have a different contact. So <laughs> just an idea for the HR people that out there. Yes, and I, often, I would like to just correlate that to the analogy of leadership training because I think often... We package leadership training in a way that it's about tools, which means that leaders can hide behind, in inverted commas, maybe not consciously, these tools and not actually step into the space. Exactly. And that's because we also don't trust the leaders. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're back to the beginning. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the second instrument, which I also would burn, is um, exclusive talent management. Yes. Um, yes, because- I agree. Yeah, and it's awful. I just looked at this nine grid talent matrix and sometimes you read things in there like this person is a red flag yeah. and this person is a solid performer, but, you know, solid is kind of, mm, and then you have the high potentials. And, and I mean, of course, um, it signals to everybody you're a resource and not a resourceful human. 
It also, yeah, and, and, and it kind of, it's even worse than performance management because he, here you also kind of try to find out potential, which is even harder to measure. Oh, yes. You I just think. pretend you can measure it. And and then, of course, with this, well, the red flag is certainly not feeling that she or he is treated with dignity. So mm. it, it's just it's just awful and it doesn't help you for anything, again, if the measurement is not valid. So, I mean, why not have inclusive talent management? Everybody's a talent. It's much more clever anyway in an HR environment because yeah. who really knows what we need tomorrow? I don't think exactly. And, and I think given the way scales are moving and the half-life yeah. of the scale has gone from like 30 years to two years, we all know that. But I think given the way you can micro-learn in your everyday life, there are skills that sit in our organization that we never see because it's not in their job description or they don't do that at work. But you know, I remember when we rolled out data analytics across a large organization and we got so many brilliant surprises of people who were very skilled in it. We had no idea, but because we hadn't asked. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And, and, and here, of course, we would have another world also quite long at our fingertips. We can work with strengths-based um, approaches where it's really about uniqueness and, and, and then thinking about how we can match people with different strengths. So, they, I mean, it's nothing Nothing we are talking about, and that might be a little bit of the frustration, is completely new. It's around <laughs> here. Some of it is around here for 60, 70 years, some of it uh, 20 years. But it, to me, it seems we have progressed towards the worse and not the better, at least in, in, in certain fields of HR. It has changed a little bit, and I will be forever grateful <laughs> with the um, small video of Dan Pink. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I it's exactly which video. from the end of the 60s, but he, he is doing it so lovingly and easily and it's a good message. Yeah. But hey, <laughs> let's move on. Let's do more. Let's be more radical and get into these new systems. Mm. And I think this is also why I wanted to give the whole picture at the beginning, the dystopia of technology and how fast it moves, because this is, like you say, this is not a new subject. But because we haven't been forced into a new leadership paradigm, we haven't had to look at it. And now it's right in front of our noses, like you say. So we need to do something for competitive competitive advantage business-wise, but also to, to talent retention. And if I take your definition of talent, I wholly concur with, which is everybody has potential. And therefore, if you unlock that potential, you have talent in your organization. You know, that's a very different management system, isn't it? That is a completely different management system. This is really taking seriously what the humanists were saying. Humans have this great potential and that we just have to help them to unleash it. And that's all what is needed. But of course, here we're really miles away from yes. <laughs> even the most modern management books, which are kind of in the end still a little bit more in this um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be um, too gender specific here, but I, I sometimes sense it's a little bit of a, a male topic to have this other viewpoint of, um, it's not only emergence, it's also the emotional part more prominently in our yeah. business world. But we'll see. I mean, yes. maybe we're on the way to, to, to that. But I think that's why we need inclusion. You know, the, the more diverse profiles we can have around a subject the richer it gets. And I think, you know, the more inclusive it gets, which means that it will create a space that will allow for most people to be able to step in there. 
Exactly, but the question is a little bit what needs, uh, what is hen and what is egg? Because yes. for me, I mean, if I kind of, I, I have this motto, trust rocks, and I yeah. used to say because it saves cost and it generates profits, but what it really does is it, it enables us to live in a society where it's living because I believe it then enables inclusion. And only if we have inclusion, everybody can be different. And mm. people kind of have it the wrong way around. No, it's the same with interdependence. We can only um, have solidarity and do something together if interdependence comes first before the independence mm. of freedom. Mm. And we tend to see or think that, well, diversity and freedom is more important. I'm not sure. We certainly need much more inclusion and much more interdependence to make that all fly. Uh, we do. And I think for both of those, for me, Antoinette, they're mindsets, aren't they? So. You know, you have to have that mindset, but you can't do one without the other. If you don't have the systems, as you've just brilliantly shown around performance management and talent management, if you don't deliberately design your systems for trust or for inclusion, then it doesn't become a systemic way of being in the organisation, does it? And, you know, I think that's really interesting in terms of how we build that context um, in organisations, because like you say, it's a huge gap, but we have to constantly bridge it and we have to do that now. What do you think the three main challenges are in that area? And I'm talking particularly post-pandemic, because if I come back to the beginning of our conversation, where we did jump in the deep end a little bit, but, um, you know, technology has had its effect and COVID has accelerated that massively. So, you know, that space is unknown for everybody today and everybody's looking at trying to define it in the model that works for them, which I think is right. Each organisation should look at what works for us. But it's going to be hybrid and there will be a layer of trust that needs to be created. So what what do you see as as the main challenges in those situations? Well, I think, first of all, there seems to be so a lot of companies seem to be thinking, well, we are going back to the old normal. And I think that would be really devastating because once you have had some trust, it also becomes kind of a right and it's a certain addiction. I mean, once you were giving more space because you were trusted and once the space between us was lovely and not toxic, mm. if you have to return to sit at your desk so that I can see you <laughs> or the Jordan Belfort or other toxic bosses or a nasty competitive work environment. I just read an article on that, that people, some people are really fearful to have to see their bosses again. Just think about that. Mm. Well, this will then lead to um, people leaving the organization. Mm. And I think there is a recent McKinsey study who shows that about 30% of the respondents are already thinking about leaving their organization because of that. So this is what you said. So um, people are leaving the organization and it's probably the good people, the people. Mm. I don't necessarily mean I just don't want to fall in the talent trap. I mean, you are going to lose the people who are having the ability to trust and who cherish trust and who cherish solidarity. So this is making your organization likely even more toxic. Mm. Not so good. No. (laughs) Think about that. I mean, I wouldn't want to go down that rat hole if I was a company. Um, Mm. Then we, we already talked about the new machines. So another scenario could be this, make the old normal worse through using new machines. And I don't have to go down there because we have already discussed that, but Mm. there is also some evidence towards that because, in fact, spying software, the the sales of spying software has gone up. 
You're really? Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, not everybody embraced the idea that I can't see my people. Of uh, course, of course. That's really a good thing. Not allowed in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, not in that excessive way, at least. But it probably still was done. I mean, we mm-hmm. still already do a lot of things for compliance, which are borderline to what is really allowed. Mm-hmm. Nobody sees it. It's very hard um, to be taken to court. Let's put it this way. Yes. There is the danger there. And I just hope that we are really getting our grips together and discussing about technology, um, neither in a it's all bad or it's all good fashion, but mm. how we can use it in a good way. Mm. A good way would always mean it has to serve humanhood and not yes. the other way around, which we are sometimes doing. Yeah, I, I love the idea of serving humanhood. I think that's a very good indicator of whether, you know, whether things should be chosen or not. Yeah, but but again, of course, if, if you had a system before, which was more an industrialization exploitation system, or sometimes I call it a suffering machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, can yeah. get more radical the older I get. <laughs> <laughs> but we need radicals, that's great. Yeah, um, and, and I think also in the business schools, because we are not radicals. Yes. No, I agree. Yeah, so I mean, I can only say get your grips together. But anyway, let's go maybe to a more positive scenario. <laughs> because of course, what everybody has on her or his mind is that we are going to have some kind of a hybrid work arrangement in the future. Mm. And I think we can manage that. Um, but we also have to be clear that hybrid is going to be the higher challenge or the greater challenge than um, online. Yes. Because working together in a really positive fashion means, and we've already talked about that, that you have to have empathy for each other, you need cognitive diversity, you need equalized communication. Mm. So I think there were some studies which had shown that we had less mansplaining in Zoom talk. (laughs) There was a little bit more equalized communication. But of course, it's much more difficult if you have the whole thing hybrid, because then maybe the good people are the present people. Mm. And maybe the water cooler talks or mm. the water cooler talks and not not we, we don't use other functions we would have like chat functions or cocktail mm. parties or whatever. So what we have to do, I think so, in order to kind of make that possible in a good way is I think here we even have to over invest in trust, go yeah. even more into trust. We've learned about rituals. We should keep on or stick to these rituals really a lot about um, this this whole fuzzy stuff, but take time for it. Who are you? How are you? How do we feel together? Mm. And and then, of course, on the systemic level, how can we make sure that present doesn't equal better? And how do we make sure that we don't create the two-class society? And that can go in all ways. It could also be that the people who are in the office feel that they have to do the more boring jobs, like answering client Mm. calls or stuff like that. So... What we can do at present, we can raise the right questions, at least from, from maybe science, but we don't have a solution. But the solution probably is have that all in mind and start to experiment and measure. And, and measure properly in the sense, not individual, but how do we feel um, together? What is the, how is the atmosphere changing in the team? 
look at the space between us to a certain degree to really find out whether what you're doing is driving the whole thing into the right direction or into the wrong direction. Mm. I mean, clearly, it's so it's not a technical challenge. (laughs) It is a sort of adaptive challenge in Keegan's language around, you know, how do you connect on a human level and step into that softer space, which is often, I think people are scared of it because, because it's the unknown and because they have to show emotion. I, li- I like the idea of experimenting and measuring what's going on collectively. And, you know, people always think of KPI, bar graphs, and you can also measure differently. You can have mood boards. You can have lots of more fun ways of having a conversation about how you feel on a daily basis. And I think we often underestimate how powerful it is to just take the time, let's take a meeting, whether it's Zoom or not, to let people land in that meeting, to ask them how they are and to just let them be present. And I think the power of being present is something we've lost uh, in a lot of organisations just because they're fast-paced, delivery-driven. I think if we stood in the present, it would have a positive effect on trust. What do you think? Definitely. Um, I would just always add, next to staying in the present, and probably you 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 included that in in it, but I often feel we also need, in addition, stay in our feelings and mm. also cultivate our feelings. So it's a it's mindfulness plus compassion, and then I think we are on the right way. Mm. I'm, I'm aware that time is running, but what would be your final call to action for leaders and organizations looking to understand the mechanics of trust and how to use them? In their work environment? I would say as leaders understand that trust rocks and work on <laughs> trustability and trust capacity as organizations make your system learning ones and collaboration one mm-hmm. and as society and that goes for organization as well I think we need to understand that luck and heritage always privilege some and that we therefore always need care and compassion as compliments, always. And, mm-hmm. and then we can have trust and then we can have uh, organizations which make the world better, but also make us better and enable us to live in the passion, which is the human excellence, I would say so. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. I'm going to leave our listeners with those calls to action around moving from the status quo to something more filled with compassion and care. Antoinette, thank you very much for coming and sharing your research and your insight and your experience with us. Where can people get in touch with you and find out more about what you do? I would love to see you all on my LinkedIn account. I'm a very active sharing person and I also love to get into dialogue there. So please um, come to LinkedIn. And soon there's going to be a web page on uh, about good organizations because I'm actually writing a book with Otifogt uh, on that topic. Excellent. So, and there, of course, we would love to have dialogue, and we are going to have uh, maybe a Socratic dialogue. We are <laughs> kind of finding out what we want to do, but we want to have it really interactive because we want to learn how organizations can become good in the sense of caring and compassionate. Okay, that sounds fabulous. I would definitely invite our our listeners to watch that space and to contribute where they can. Okay, thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the learning it gave you. If so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and your feedback. So it's bye from me for now and then I'll see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. Mm-hmm.